Welcome to Gathering Place Podcast. On this podcast, you will hear sermon recaps, meaningful conversations, and in-depth teaching. We hope today's episode ignites and equips you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. Hey, Gary Cusick here with the Gathering Place Podcast. Thankful that you're tuning in. We're going to take a few minutes and uh, we're doing a sermon recap. We're in a series here at Gathering Place Church Sunday mornings on what does the Bible say? Taking a range of issues, topics, um, texts, looking at scripture to really express um, good, robust theology on certain um, really formative uh, practices, traditions, Um, that make us strong Christians in how we think, how we feel, uh, what we do. Um, So tune in, a few minutes of your time. I I know you won't regret it. Gathering Place Podcast, let's go. Well, hey, the subject today uh, is about praise. And I believe and I know that praise is a weapon Uh, That praise is a truth, a principle, a promise that we have as followers of Jesus in order to um, unpin darkness, in order to rebuke and cancel our spiritual enemy, Satan. And I want to look at uh, two principles that are brought out in the Sunday sermon topic. And uh, what I want to title today is Two lessons from the desert generation. Two lessons from the desert generation. And we know this is the Exodus generation where God's people were led out of captivity, slavery, oppression. Um, We know about this Exodus generation that it was uh, simpler to get God's people out of Egypt. But what we see in this Exodus story is it takes work, process, Um, to get Egypt out of God's people. Uh, So what you need to know to put things in context is that Egypt, so God's people in Egypt was their infancy stage and the wilderness is like their elementary stage. So there's a process as Exodus reveals of getting God's people out of Egypt. And then when they get into the wilderness, they're entered, they enter into a a formative process, um, really a process of unlearning Egypt. I, I really find it interesting too, just to get you in the headspace of how far gone God's people uh, were, is when Moses comes on the scene, God speaks to Moses, we know at the burning bush, is uh, Moses didn't recognize the voice of I am, where God reveals himself as I am who I am. And he asked the question of, who are you? So Moses, as their leader, didn't recognize God's voice. And sure enough, God's people have been in captivity, slavery in Egypt, that they, it says in scripture, that as they begin to cry out and groan, that they weren't groaning to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they were groaning and the groans got so loud that God heard them and answered. So their connection to God was not the God of Israel, which we're about to see formed, but it was just a cry and a groan. Moses didn't know God's voice. So you got to realize how far from the patriarchs, the matriarchs of the faith they had strayed and they were fully um, enslaved spirit, mind, and body 
to being oppressed by Egypt. So Moses comes on the scene. The ten plagues happen. It's a sign of God's um, activity, sign of God acting on their behalf to awaken them to the power of God. We also see that is uh, the first plague takes place that Pharaoh um, made the work of the people, so the work of of the Israelites, the Hebrews, that they had to then go, uh, the scripture says they had to go to collect their own straw. And so when they saw the added work because of um, God beginning to act on their behalf, they got mad at Moses and said, Moses, would you leave us alone? You're making it worse for us. So this that was another indicator we see of, of the level of captivity and slavery um, that God's people were in. Paul reminds us um, of this truth, of why we look at this desert generation, this Exodus generation. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says this. It says, now all these things happened to them as examples, that they were written for our admonition, in other words, for our sake, upon which the end of ages has come. You know, I, I feel in my spirit and, and know as you look at the um, proclivities of our day or you look at the culture um, as Americans and just the world, that there is a pandemic of fear that still exists post-COVID-19. And as we're in this pandemic of fear, it's really led to um, of that we've got to go back and we've got to relearn some things. And, and we've got to learn, as Paul says, from that desert generation, the examples that they did as they walked through an exodus, as they walked through a time of, of a desert um, depleted, fearful, not knowing what's next. Um, they, you'll see throughout the story that they constantly look back that things would be better in Egypt versus the unknown of what lies ahead to their freedom. So God's going to give them two principles to get to the promised land. Um, and I believe if we can apply these today, that they still carry as much weight, truth, um, in principle and in promise, that can bring life change to you in whatever land, season, circumstance, uh, or wilderness uh, that you're in. You know, one thing we see here um, is that uh, there's this prophecy in Hosea where Hosea calls uh, uh, the sun out of the land of Egypt. And in the uh, prophetic word of the gospel, in Matthew, the same as a foreshadow of Christ called out of Egypt. And this reveals to us that the whole history of Israel is relived in Christ, that we can relive this, that we are a new Israel. The church is spiritual Israel. So this is where we can apply these truths to our, our lives. And when you see Israel, um, it's always you can replace it with church. That is, we are the new spiritual Israel. Uh, we learn from these processes of how God works and the divine order that he's created to set us free, to deliver us, to bring us into greater blessing and provision. And again, when I say blessing, it's just not this monetary gain or abundance, but a blessing of, of knowledge, a blessing of understanding generational legacy and generational synergy that God works through generations. He works with big picture in mind and what our, what your, what my place is to play in this, um, in our season, our time. God, we were, God chose us for such a time as this 
in this generation, in this time, he's still on the throne. Um, and in time of hardship, deprivation, our dependence on God ultimately needs to be more radically lived. And uh, this is my heart through this, is that wherever you need to depend on God, uh, that you would do it more radically. And I pray that these, these two lessons uh, will help you. So number one, if you're taking notes, uh, uh, jot it down, is that the first lesson we see of a desert generation in a time of, of having to depend on God is they learn that the Lord will fight their battles. The Lord will fight their battles. Um, we see this uh, in uh, the Exodus story. Uh, we see to the point when Pharaoh sets God's peoples free after the last plague. Um, God had hardened their heart, and they're met at this point. Uh, they're met at this at this rock. Uh, and the Hebrew word is is piha irath, uh, which means at the mouth of the gorges. So on the left and on the right, the gorges were there. There was no running. In front of them was the Red Sea, and behind them was the wrath, the terror of Pharaoh's army pursuing them uh, to bring them back into captivity. So the story picks up Exodus 14, and God's people, we see this pattern of them not trusting Moses, them not trusting the word of the Lord, and quick to complain uh, and murmur of what, how they're going to be set free. Look what it says, Exodus 14, 11. It says, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? And you, you got to love the sarcasm here because you got to think of what did um, the Hebrews build in Egypt? Well, pyramids, what were these architectural masterpieces predominantly for? Graves. So they're getting sarcastic with Moses. And I think when things don't go our way or there's uncertainty, it's easy to get cynical. It's easy to get sarcastic. And so they're saying, Moses, you brought us out here to die. Weren't there enough graves here? Come on, man. And he, they say, what have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you? So they're reminding him of what they already said after the first plague. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to these Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. So they're terrified. And quite honestly, I think in moments of, of the unknown, in moments of not knowing where to go, what to do, how the breakthrough will happen, is we have this tendency within us to resist having to trust God. So they're put to the test of, are we going to trust God or are we going to go back to what's comfort, creature comforts, which to them was enslavement. And the enemy is so good. We've got to know this about our spiritual enemy. He's so good at coercing fear into our lives and enslaving us um, and how quickly they forgot how God acted on their behalf through the 10 plagues. They've already seen God move. They've seen his activity, his action, his salvaic work at play, uh, but they question. And so we know how the story goes. Moses um, addresses the people and he gives them this word. And I believe this is a prophetic word for 2022. And he said this in verse 13, he said, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, 
you shall see again no more. And here's where we see our principle. Verse 14, he says, the Lord will fight for you and you're going to hold your peace. See, I'm convinced too. And so many of us, we say God is fighting our battles, but an indicator to say if God really is, are you still holding your peace or are you twisting the hand of God, manipulating, trying to control God's hand to fight your battles where you're still engaging, but there's no peace. So the indicator, the green light of God fighting your battles is that you're still in a posture of peace. Now, we've got to define peace. Peace is not this feeling of everything's okay, I'm happy, my circumstances are good. No, peace is a is a profound, full trust that God is acting, God is working, and I'm seeking his heart, seeking his face. I'm not complaining, I'm not questioning, but there's trust. And when you trust him, the fruit of trust is peace. So we see what happens. It says that a a wind begins to blow. The ruah of God shows up. And that wind, that ruah, is a prefigurement of the Holy Spirit. And so the wind of the Spirit begins to blow. God parts the Red Sea and God's people cross over. And as God's people cross over, it says that the waters crash in on the Egyptian army and God's people were set free. Um, and, and really this then signifies them leaving Egypt and then the exodus, the wilderness portion of the story begins. You know, you read Exodus 15 and, and this is where we get our principle of praise is the right way to respond to the work of God is to praise him. The right way to respond to the work of God is to praise him. So God did a miracle. God set them free and the response of God's people was praise. Now, we've got to define what praise is. And because uh, I think so many of us, we get worship, praise. Um, so much of when we gather together is the body of Christ, around, around the body of Christ, the Lord's Supper, communion. We, we worship, we praise, we get the preaching of God's word. Is, um, praise is, is, there's more of an of a action of a bodily of a bodily posture of praise versus there is worship. Worship is not just your singing, but it is your living. So when you worship, it's your lifestyle. It's a perpetual sacrifice of praise. Hebrews talks about, and uh, when we come together, it should be more of a praise, of a celebration, a jubilance of praising and honoring God. But I love this definition of praise, and it says this: that it is a Focus entirely on the expression of wonder and awe at who God is and what God has done. I love that. I'm going to say it again. It is a focused entirely on the expression of wonder and awe at who God is and what God has done. So God's people begin to praise. You can read their, the song of Moses, that the Lord will reign forever and ever, that their tank is filled. They've seen God move. They just saw this miracle take place and God's people respond in a heart of praise. I encourage you if you want to dig into this a little more, go and watch uh, Sunday's sermon on what does the Bible say about praise. I give several more examples, um, but I want to end with this last point here. So one, we have we see that God fights their battle. Um, and I get into that a little more of how you've got to pick up your sword, that it's not this passive approach to God fighting your battle. 
but we see through um, Jehoshaphat's army of how the praisers went first and how um, God commands uh, later on in Exodus 17, we see the Amalekites attack and we see God's response of and word through Moses, lift your hands and how it prefigures. It's a picture of Christ on a, on a hill and his hands lifted as, as Christ was on a hill of Calvary. Uh, and that is the place where our victory is found. It also shows that as Moses' hands were up, praise, it's a sign of worship and praise that God's people would advance. And when his hands went down, um, you know, the Amalekites would advance. And so there's uh, great points you can go and, and listen on that. But number two, what we see is we get further into the Exodus story of what we learn from the desert generation is that they were a murmuring generation, a murmuring generation. I know we don't use murmuring, but murmuring is just, we're complaining. And instead of the really the opposite or the par- the paradox of the other side of complaining or the paradox of praise is a spirit of murmuring. And we see that they would gripe, groan, mumble, complain. They were envy, jealous, jealous. Um, and that, that this spirit of murmuring is what cost them when they were on the breakthrough of year 39 of their wilderness at the land of Kapesh, the Bible says that it was a murmuring spirit that kept them from entering into the promised land. We see the depth and the levels they murmur. They're thirsty, they murmur. They're hungry, they murmur. God supernaturally feeds them manna from heaven. It's not good enough, they murmur. And uh, we see a picture in Numbers 11.5. It says that we remember the fish that we freely ate in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks, onions and garlic. And uh, we see that it was not good enough. So when, it, when there's a spirit of murmuring, Psalms 95. Uh, so we see, again, just as Paul said, it is, it's an example for our admonition for our sake. Is Psalms 95 is revisited. And uh, we see these places in Hebrews, Corinthians, Psalms of where this desert generation uh, is looked at as an example. So this is another place in Psalms um, 95. It says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts. You've got to see when, when you complain, gossip, murmur, you're inviting a piece of your heart to get hardened to where conviction of the Spirit of God can no longer prick you and say, oh, that's not of God. I, I need to bring that in check. I need to surrender that to the Holy Spirit. And this is just a classic example of how murmuring can rob us of the promised land of God. The principle here of murmuring is too, is before God brings you into a greater blessing, he has to first test you. He has to bring the Israelites to a point of decision. Will you trust me? And only if you trust me, I can bring you into this greater blessing. 
in a further radical decision of faith that he that God wanted for them to say I will be your God and I want you to know that I'll be your God because if they weren't tested in the wilderness then what would happen they get the greater blessing they get the promised land and then Romans 1 what would what Paul teaches us when idolatry happens is when the creation is worshiped over the creator created things over over who created them and so if they're released into this promised land they have not been tested they have not been refined then this land flowing of milk and honey would have become an idol. And so God wanted to test them, to try them, so that they can enjoy the greater blessing and it not fall into a spirit of idolatry. Man, such good truth here if, if you can catch it in God's word. You know, the, the ending as we know that they don't make it into the promised land and a generation has to die off. And um, Moses, even in that uh, part of Scripture of where we see God's Word speak, and Mo- Moses intercedes for them. They're, you know, Moses is a prefigurement of Christ. He's an intercessor. He, he pleads with him, do not you know, destroy uh, the people. Um, so they're saved, but they can't enter in, and that's the, pri- that's the price of the consequence. And um, we see in Deuteronomy, six two through nine where uh, the book of deuteronomy is really moses's farewell address it's a long one but it's a good one and he reminds us again of that generation and this is his admonition his plead he says in deuteronomy 2 through 9 he says that you may fear the lord your god to keep all his statues and his commandments which i command you you your son your grandson all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged therefore israel be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, that a land flowing with milk and honey. Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. So don't have a heart in heart. Get it in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, idle time. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. It means, what are you doing? And they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. What are you seeing? What is vision? Your vision should be the plans and purposes of God. And you shall write them on your do- the doorposts of your house and your gates. Gates is signifying the marketplace, the public square. That don't compromise and don't let go and don't lay low. You know, we're in a war of ideas, ideologies. And if we don't take this call to raise up a generation, you know, it's such a passion of mine that uh, we're a church of all generations reaching the next generation. And this was Moses' heart. You've got to train them that you were that first generation that confronted Egypt but don't let it, don't let the next generation, your, I always say this, this is a Maxwell quote, is, is your lowest standard, is the generation underneath you highest standard? We've got to raise the bar. We have a culture that is sick, that is broken, that is in need of healing. And the church is the salvaic healing to the world, to a culture, to a church and culture in crisis. 
we've got to step up, rise up, and bring the healing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is the answer. Christ is always the answer. And there, I want to leave you with this in the war of ideologies and why um, we've got to understand the fights that it is at hand to take your praise and to take your, uh, your confession to get you in a spirit of complaining and murmuring. There was, in July of 21st of 2021, there was a song that was released by um, the San Francisco Gay Men Chorus Assembly. Now, it's a mouthful, but you can go and you can look this up. And the lyrics were uh, so profound to see the agenda that is with the LGBTQ plus community. And um, I want you just to hear these lyrics. The song goes like this. It says, you think we're sinful. You fight against our rights. You say we all lead lives you can't respect, but you're just frightened. You think we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you are correct. We'll convert your children happens bit by bit, quiet and subtly, you'll barely notice it. You can keep them from disco, warn about San Francisco, make them wear pleated plants, we don't care. We'll convert your children, we'll make them tolerant and fair, just like you worried. They'll change their group of friends. And it goes on to just give this really blatant agenda of the aggressiveness of the LGBTQ plus agenda to indoctrinate kids. And when you go back to Deuteronomy 2, uh, you know, this is... Uh, what is those lyrics are in the form of a song, obviously. And that's why praise is so important because it keeps God first place. It keep God, keeps God on the throne of your life. And if I can encourage you that there is a war going on in our culture for the next generation, for your heart, for your family. And we've got to take Moses' uh, last breath that we hear from him to diligently teach our kids and I believe that through a spirit of praise, through um, dealing with the spirit of murmuring, that you can begin to be set free, learn from this desert generation that you do have hope, that there is principles and promises you can see applied to your life to overcome the enemy, to destroy the works of the devil, to deal with generational curses through good generational choices. And uh, I pray you were encouraged today. Again, you can go and... And you can uh, catch the full sermon on our uh, church YouTube channel. We'll link it up here uh, at the top. But thanks for tuning in again. This is Garrett Cusick with the Gathering Place podcast. We'll see you next time uh, right here in the same place. God bless.